Across the UK, online and on DAB. A mid-morning dance with the devil. The independent republic of Mike Graham. Get up to the minute news flashes, instant reaction and expert analysis from some of the biggest names in Westminster. Order. The independent republic of Mike Graham. Live from Westminster on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, live once more from College Green in Westminster. You can see uh, some of the steam coming out uh, of my mouth this morning, not because I'm particularly angry, not because I'm particularly sad, just because it's quite cold, to be honest. Uh, you'll see more of that steam if you keep your eyes uh, on the Talk Radio Twitter feed, of course, and we'll be filming more and more of this stuff as we go. It was an historic night last night in Parliament, not just uh, because Brexit got back on track, but partly because the Tories got back on track. Theresa May actually managed to unite the Tory party. Jeremy Corbyn on the other hand, uh, looked as if he was in more disarray uh, than he has ever been in. The Labour Party is totally and utterly riven. I'm actually seeing people uh, who are Remainers from that FBPE hashtag uh, on Twitter saying that they had a sleepless night. It's all so terrible. It's all very worrying because it looks as though the Remainers have finally been beaten. They've finally been vanquished and certainly the people's vote uh, can go and take their ball and disappear with it off into the European continent if they like because they ain't getting any second referendum as far as I can see. But here's the point I'm going to make to you this morning. Why should Theresa May bother going all the way over to Brussels to talk to a load of people who say that there's no point in negotiating with her? Why don't she sit here and say, look guys, if you want to get anything out of us, including 39 billion quid, you better come to Downing Street and you better come with your begging bowl and you better bring something to the table or else you know what? We're leaving with without any kind of deal whatsoever on March the 29th. We want to hear from all of you out there, though, because we've got politicians uh, up the wazoo. We've got loads and loads of people to talk to from the uh, media. But what we want is to hear from the people's voice, which is what we do here at Talk Radio. 0344 499 1000. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. We're live in Westminster. The fallout, the fury, the future. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Live from Westminster. On Talk Radio. So here we are once again. It is day three of yet another historic week in the political history of this country. Theresa May has literally come back from the dead. I've previously described her uh, as the walking dead. I've previously described her as the zombie prime minister. Well, she has got right out of the grave and come straight back to life, I can tell you. Because after last night, uh, she managed to get the DUP on board with the Graham Brady Amendment. She managed to get Boris Johnson on board. She managed to get Jacob Rees-Mogg and the whole of the European uh, group on board as well. And so now the Tory party he is in fact united. Jeremy Corbyn uh, was made to look a complete and utter humiliated fool I have to say and if you are a member of the Labour Party and you'd like to disagree with me on that I'd love to hear from you because he now looks like a busted flush to be honest. This is a guy who even when he backed an amendment, the one by Yvette Cooper which was to basically take control uh, away from Theresa May and give it back to uh, Labour, give it back to all the Remainers who wanted to kick Article 50 into the long grass basically that was turned down. She managed to get a united front going on the Tory benches, apart from one or two uh, very, very pro-European MPs. And she's basically taken back control of Brexit. Dominic Grieve ought to be ashamed of himself. He's another guy uh, that went absolutely nowhere with his amendment. So he has not been able to take back control from uh, the government to Parliament. So all of those terrible, terrible ideas that everybody had, uh, that basically uh, Parliament was going to be rent asunder, that we weren't ever going to be able to get anywhere at all without uh, having to have some kind of revolution have turned out to be wrong. 
we have turned out to be able to actually make this work and to find a way through it. But surely the most important thing now uh, is to get the European Union to agree to do something about the backstop. Now, whether or not uh, they say they won't is not the question. Whether or not they say uh, they'd rather have no deal is not the question. Surely the question is, is we have now found a way through parliamentary procedure. We have now found our own path that can work for Britain to get out of the European Union one way or another. Whether it is with no deal, whether it is with Theresa May's deal, improved or otherwise, we have found a way. Finally, it's taken a bit of time, but after all the politicians I've spoken to, it does seem to me that we are finally getting somewhere. And the people who are now in a massive minority are those who are still whining and moaning on about staying in the European Union, those who are still whining and moaning on uh, about wanting to have another referendum. Uh, we had a couple of them on this week earlier, and they said they would not give up trying to remain in Europe until there was a second vote, which is entirely unfair and entirely unlikely to happen. So here's what I propose. I propose that Theresa May says to the European Union, I understand uh, that you do not want to renegotiate this treaty. I understand that you say that uh, a Northern Ireland backstop uh, is non-negotiable. I understand that you say that the withdrawal agreement is done and dusted and there can be no alterations made to it. However, we know, as well as you do, that you will go all the way down to the 11th hour uh, and the 11th minute of the 11th hour before you finally do the deal that we want you to do. So why don't you just cut to the chase? Why don't you come to London, come and see us, send a delegation of important people or semi-important people or semi-important people's aides and get the work done because that is what you owe the taxpayers of the European Union, of which we are members, by the way. Uh, it's what you owe the taxpayers of this country, which of course all of us are, most of us anyway, and it's what you owe basically the future of the European Union. So uh, instead of sitting there higher on the hog, pretending and knowing that you are the people who run everything because you don't anymore, you should beware. So what we want you to do is to come and see us here in London and we will make a deal. And if you don't want to make a deal, we're going to leave anyway uh, on the 29th of March with no deal. It's as simple as that. And now if you're out there listening, I'm sure you'd like to back me up on this. 0344 499 1000. Uh, there's going to be lots more meetings today. There's going to be lots more uh, positioning going on. But as Julie Hartley Brewer said to me, there's an awful lot of miserable looking people out there on the TV talking about what happened last night. And most of them are on the Remain side, it has to be said. It was a remarkable night, a remarkable set of uh, results for Theresa May. Yes, there was one setback in which um, the Jack Dromey thing went through where uh, the idea was that we can leave with no deal but it's not uh, legally binding so it doesn't really matter all that much let's get a feeling for precisely what's happening today ross kempster is our political editor he's here right now ross very good morning to you and thank you very much for being here i heard you on last night with james Whale, so i know that you're once again working around the <laughs> clock um so a remarkable night i have to say it was quite exciting watching it because yeah. uh, all those amendments one after the other sort of building in a crescendo like yeah. dramatic way um uh, and i must admit i found myself sort of cheering for theresa may when that one, uh, when the final, uh, uh, you know, one that she wanted came through. Well, there's no doubt that last night was definitely a good night for Theresa May. And I think in number 10, frankly, the mood will be jubilant. Yeah. Now, you have to take that with a pinch of salt because a good night for Theresa May is not much more than one good night. And she still has a huge amount to achieve in the next two weeks if she's going to rescue her deal. But definitely the way that those votes went were uh, probably the best possible outcome. The defeat of the Cooper Amendment and not just a defeat, but a comprehensive yeah. defeat in terms of how the House of 
of common stacks up at the moment is really good news for uh, the government's plan. Likewise, they will be very happy with the numbers on the Brady Amendment, which were stronger. Generally throughout the evening, both the Labour and Tory whips held up relatively well. And I think that those um, kind of kind of lack of serious rebellion is exactly what Theresa May wanted to take out of the evening, because it means that when she comes back with a meaningful vote, which we now think will be on or about the 14th of January, uh, with whatever she's managed to achieve in the last two weeks, she believes now that she has the potential to get a deal through the House of Commons. She said last night, uh, and this is the government's key takeaway, that there is now a majority in the House of Commons for a deal. Mm. Now, not quite sure, actually, whether that line is truly plausible, because it remains to be seen whether there is a majority in the House of Commons for Theresa May's deal. Uh, the rebels involved, the Tory rebels will insist it's not her deal, it's changed if she's changed the backstop. Everyone will want a little bit of ownership over the deal. Um, but as you've been saying for some time now, Mike, we have been moving towards this process, yeah. really. However... Let's outline the pitfalls. There's still a huge amount that can go wrong for the Prime Minister. Overnight, the EU27 and European Union leaders were again of one voice saying that the withdrawal agreement is not going to be reopened and that the backstop is not for renegotiation. Now, if you take that uh, at um, face level, that would be a disaster for Theresa May. Uh, if that doesn't change in the next two weeks, then she's in obviously serious difficulties because she will have failed to achieve her key promise again, which is to change the backstop. But it feels still much like brinkmanship and positioning, doesn't it? It doesn't feel like like that's the end of the, 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 the conversation. It feels like that's what they would say, isn't it? There's this odd kind of disparity at the moment because if you speak to sources in Brussels, everyone in Brussels seems convinced, really, generally, uh, that the European Union will hold up and will be very reluctant to give ground. And if they do give ground on the backstop, it will be minimal compared to what Theresa May actually wants. So Theresa May wants probably a uh, time limit. That's almost certainly a red line. Uh, but also, in an ideal world, she'd get a unilateral exit clause. That's less likely, I think, o overall. But there might be some change to the exit mechanism itself. So there are degrees of how much the EU can give. Yeah. In Brussels, people, you know, seasoned EU observers who I speak to and sources inside the European Union uh, and Commission seem to think that actually uh, what's going on here right now in Westminster is madness mm. because they're not going to give that much. But in Westminster, it's completely the opposite view. If you speak to anyone in government and actually speaking to government sources for more than a month, uh, I've been saying in the reporting, uh, and we've talked about this before, that there did seem to be this sense that they were getting to this codicil idea, they were getting to a codicil. First of all, it was going to be on the poll deck, then it might be involving reopening the withdrawal agreement so there seems to be a really big disparity yeah. between the conversation in Westminster and the conversation in Brussels now how that resolves itself in the next two weeks is the key question but that's also partly why we are where we are in a way because one of the reasons why Britain has never quite been part of that whole European Union culture that we talked about yesterday is because we've never really accepted it we've never really bought into it and as I was saying at the beginning of this show and you might say it's a slightly kind of you know pantomime like point that I'm making but I'm saying basically look if they're saying don't bother coming because we can't tell you anything we can't give you anything we're not reopening the agreement. We're not reopening the negotiations. We're not going to change on the backstop. Theresa May might as well say to them, OK, then, well, I'm not going to bother coming. Why don't you come to Downing Street when you've decided to stop throwing your toys out of the pram and have a proper conversation? That way she gets the moral high ground. She, she plays to her audience here, which is what she does, and they play to their audience there. Sometime, at some point between now and the end of February... The twain must meet, surely. Yeah, quite right. And everybody needs to feel like a bit of a winner, to be honest. Yeah. And that is the sense, 
actually for the first time in Westminster where this morning the government and the Tory rebels both feel like they won last night. The mm. government feels like they won because uh, they got the Brady Amendment through with a really strong, in their view, mandate to go back to the European Union and give Theresa May another two weeks. So that for them cons- constituted victory. Uh, they, they managed to get the ERG on side to vote with the government and there was only one ERG rebel on that vote actually. So that is a really, really uh, strong sign that the ERG held up in support of the government, much stronger than people expected. Right. They thought there might be rebels in single figures, but it was just one. Likewise, um, there is a sense amongst the rebels this morning that they won because yeah. they've managed to force, in their view, Theresa May to readdress the problem which they had outlined. They think that they've won because they think that the Malthouse compromise might now be um, opened up and for... And they also, by slightly shifting their position, they look like mature politicians. You know, They don't look like you know obstinate idiots who refuse to budge on anything, which is very much how Jeremy Corbyn has come across. They both, they both think that they've won. And this morning, in terms of who thinks that they've lost, you would probably have to say the Remain backing caucus in the House of Commons who wanted to delay Article 50. Now, there is a glimmer of hope for those MPs because the Spellman Amendment did pass last night, and that is the House of Commons confirming really what everybody already knew, which is that there is no majority amongst MPs for a no-deal exit from the European Union. Yeah. So that that to them will be held on to. This morning, um, those uh, uh, MPs have been out and about, including the Green Party leader, saying that that is the most significant of the results last night, and it actually does show once and for all for good that the House of Commons does not want a no-deal exit from the European Union. Uh, So to a certain extent, they feel like they have won there. Uh, But again, again, that sort of plays against their own hand, if you like, because what that effectively means is that if she can't get a a change in the conversation with the European Union, she then has to come back to them and say, well, in that case, if you really don't want a no-deal, you have to accept the one we've got. Well, there are all of these kind of scenarios now which might transpire in terms of forcing people up against no deal so could it be for example scenario A Theresa May secures a relatively acceptable compromise on the backstop Uh, it's enough for Tory rebels the DUP coming behind her in the next two weeks the numbers on the second vote look much much stronger the the Labour whip um, holds up relatively strongly uh, and Theresa May squeaks this through the House of Commons on the thinnest of margins that's one possible scenario however she may not and in that situation she would use the threat of no deal again because a key takeaway again from last night is that the Article 50 process has not been interfered with. That was going to happen if the Cooper-Bowles amendment passed and we'd be looking at the delay to Article 50 maybe until the end of the year. But right now we're operating on the same timetable. So uh, to a certain extent she has been um, insulated from that but it means that when the next meaningful vote comes around she can use the same old threat again uh, to both her own rebels and to Labour MPs saying that if you don't take my deal it's going to be no deal. But, but the Tory rebels think that they have the same threat already lined up. If under the Malthouse compromise, uh, there's no acceptable change to the backstop, they're going to move towards what they think is a managed WTO right. no deal exit. So Indeed. the spectre of kind of no deal is not completely out of the conversation by any means. It's just maybe taken a little bit of a step back behind the curtain for the next two weeks. And so what about the day today as such? We were looking at some uh, meetings being held this morning, all sorts of things happening before Prime Minister's questions, of course, as normal on Wednesday at midday. 
today, and you'll be all over that, of course, as you always are. Um, what else is happening? Um, are the, uh, is the positioning for the moment over with? Is ERG still negotiating with uh, the government to try and get more concessions? What's happening? Jeremy Corbyn is going to meet the Prime Minister today, and this is the headline meeting, really. <laughs> that should um, be fun. Well, it, it's going to be an interesting meeting, and the reason for that is that um, by essentially winning, uh, um, sorry, by, by losing on Cooper Bowles, uh, and by winning on Spellman, uh, it, the reality was that Theresa May could no longer really accuse Jeremy Corbyn of not wanting to meet her because right. Mr Corbyn said, you've got to take no deal off the table. The Spellman Amendment plausibly does that. Whether it actually does it in real terms, in legal terms, is another issue. But the way has been opened for them to meet. I imagine that those discussions at this stage will be largely academic because beyond that, they don't really have Pretty very much... Pretty frosty as well, I would imagine. Yeah, they don't really have very much common ground. I mean, if you think of this time last week, every Tory MP going was tweeting that Jeremy Corbyn would meet Hamas Hezbollah and all sorts of yeah. people rather than the Prime Minister. Well, that's not true, is it? Because he is meeting her now. So to a certain extent, that Tory attack line is fizzled out um, with Jeremy Corbyn meeting the Prime Minister. He will again make the argument, I'm told this morning, uh, for the advantages of the Labour deal that he would like to see uh, the government move towards a new customs union and that also he would really go into pressure as the top line that Mrs May must make a personal commitment herself to taking no deal off the table because the Spellman Amendment probably isn't enough, even in the Prime Minister's words, to rule that out. So that that is what Labour are going to ask uh, Theresa May to do. The likelihood of that actually happening, I think, is quite small. But it is a, a step forward in the sense that the two party leaders are now speaking to one another. Mm. Uh, and a, a lot for Jeremy Corbyn comes down to how well the Labour whip holds up on the next vote. If he manages to keep down the number of Labour rebels, there's still a fair chance that Theresa May's deal will be in tough difficulties passing the House Commons. She has effectively neutered him, though, because before uh, she meets him, his Prime Minister's question, she's going to meet him right after. So you can imagine, any time he gets a little bit chippy during Prime Minister's question, she's just going to turn around to him and say, we'll sort this one out after the, uh, after the chamber's finished, mm. after the session, Jeremy, because you're coming to my house to talk to me. <laughs> and so he hasn't really got any where to go now. Well, it's one of those rare occasions where Theresa May actually is on the front foot at yeah. the beginning of Prime Minister's questions. Um, you know, objectively, she quite often isn't. Uh, however, um, you know, Theresa May has been known to be on the front foot of Prime Minister's questions before and for it to all go completely wrong. So I wouldn't rule out anything until we see PMQs itself. Uh, Mr Corbyn, I'm sure, will stress uh, the importance, again, of avoiding no deal at PMQs. Although I wonder whether today might be one of the days where we see some of the other topics being picked up by the Labour leader because the government is primed for attack uh, because uh, quite a lot has been going on under the surface um, in the last few days that just hasn't been picked up on yet. OK, Ross, thank you very much indeed. We'll speak to you throughout the morning, of course. Ross Campbell, our political editor, who works non-stop round the clock. I'm thinking of starting a crowdfunding uh, scenario to send him somewhere nice and warm where this is all over done with the independent republic of mike graham on talk radio we're going to talk now to dr philip lee conservative mp for bracknell chair of the right to vote campaign uh dr philip a very good morning to you welcome morning. morning thank you very much for joining us on this chilly morning uh it's gonna be quite an interesting day today given that uh, theresa may is now meeting with jeremy corbyn after Prime Minister's questions. You voted last night against the uh, Brady Amendment. One yeah. of a few Tory MPs who did so. Tell yeah. us why. Well, it's a remarkable scenario when you're in the Commons and the purpose of the amendment is already rejected by Brussels and Paris and we're expected to go through and vote for it. I mean, it was just fantasy politics again. I mean, the whole of yesterday was displacement activity. Nothing fundamentally has changed. I suppose the Commons agreed to a position 
that it was against something, not for, which has already been rejected by Brussels. We're no further forward, Mike. Um, I mean, we're going to watch the next two weeks play out in which it'll be characterised as Brussels saying no, Brussels being inflexible, Brussels this, Brussels that. It's the, sort of the whole victim mentality that underpins a lot of the Brexit sort of dialogue. Reality is is that Brussels has been pretty consistent throughout. The withdrawal agreement isn't going to be reopened. And as a consequence, I suspect quite a few people who were celebrating last night will still be voting against the deal come Valentine's Day. Maybe so. The trouble is, though, that everybody I ever talk to who says anything about European politics is that they all know quite deciduously that the Brussels position will change and move closer we get to the point at which there is nowhere else to go. Yeah, but there's no uh, there's no evidence that they're going to do that. They've been pretty. Well, consistent. everyone I talk to says, well, they do that every time they're in a negotiation. Well, uh, let's wait and see. I mean, I think I think it's uh, it was pretty clear when you got a press conference of the president of France, you got a press release out within minutes of the amendment, and indeed it was rumoured before the vote took place that they're not going to open the withdrawal agreement. In view of the fact the DUP have made it quite clear that they will not allow any other sort of legal mechanism other than changing the backstop within the withdrawal agreement before they vote for it, and that there are plenty of ERG members who hold that view and indeed have other problems with the government's deal. The idea that the, the government's deal is across the finish line if the, um, I mean, is, 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 a, is, is patent nonsense. And I think the front pages of the newspapers, good spin from the government, but nothing's changed. Well, what we do then uh, find ourselves left with, surely, is a no deal, because that's, yes. that's basically where yes. you are. Yes. If the deal doesn't change, and the, uh, the people who voted with the government, i.e. Yep. the ERG group and yep. the DUP, which yep. made it work, then they will want a no deal. Oh, I mean, the ERG had an played a blinder last night. I mean, my God, the number of useful idiots in the room do, doing the dirty work for, for the ERG was, I lost I'm count. I'm sure they would categorise themselves in that way. Well, I mean, to be honest, it is. I mean, it's Lenin who... Was I mean, you're the one who's in the minority no, here. No, no, Lenin was attributed to coming up with that phrase, and it was a way of using others to get to further your ends. Uh -huh. Well... Um, that's exactly what happened last night. The only winners. Isn't that last the definition night, of politics? Yeah, the, the, well, of course, and as, as, that's why I'm congratulating them. I mean, the interesting thing about <laughs> it is, 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 is that is it really the majority view of Brexit voters in the country? Is it really the majority view of parliamentarians? It clearly isn't either. And yet it has been spun out today that this unified voice is somehow now the Conservative voice. Let's, be, let's remember, two to three years ago, this view of no deal being acceptable was a minority view within Brexiteers. Mm. And yet the minority minority but as we view keep hearing, is now... But as we it's, keep it's, hearing, in two and a half years, lots of things can change. Absolutely. I mean, I, so I, there I, may, may be... Uh, we, and I, we certainly, from the, from the people that get in touch with me, um, and I know that social media is never a good yardstick to use, but certainly Twitter uh, and Facebook and the radio station yep. that we work on here, everybody that rings in more yep. and more says, you know what, let's just get out. I, We're I, fed up with it. I, I hear all the same things. I get all the same contributions via email. Absolutely. I'm not, I've never dismissed the fact that if the deal doesn't go through, the legal situation is no deal. But I was told that there were going to be 40 ministers who were going to resign over this yesterday. Where were they? They obviously decided that it wasn't the right time. Well, no. I'll tell you when the right time is going to be, Mike, is when the deal goes down again on February the 14th, because the ERG quite legitimately hold their line on, on, on the backstop, amongst other things. Those 40 uh, ministers resign the following day, presumably, because at that point... It will be legally the case we will no deal ex it will be a no deal scenario. And I would also point out to Jeremy Corbyn and the front bench of Labour that when that deal goes down, they're gonna have to stop being against things and they're gonna have to choose to be for something because they're clearly their party is clearly not for no deal.
I don't think so, they know what they're for, do they? Yeah, uh, that's a fair point as well. So therefore, after February the 14th, Keir Starmer, John McDonnell, they're all going to have to come out and say, we are for this, and they're going to have two choices. One is a soft Brexit, jobs first Brexit, they would characterise it. And the other option is a second referendum, which happens to be where eight, over 80% of their membership are. Now, they're not going to like that because we all know that Jeremy Corbyn wants to Brexit. We all get it. But if he wants to go down in history as the Labour Prime Minister that delivered no deal, OK, good luck with that. Indeed, if the Prime Minister wants to go down as the Conservative Prime Minister who delivered no deal, good luck with that as well. Because it's only supported in most polls by about 15% of the public. Well, That's I've had a problem with polls this week. I had, uh, I said earlier on uh, this week, yeah, I, I didn't sure. trust polls, I don't like polls. I got a call from a Polish man yesterday. Yeah. He said, why are you saying on the radio, you don't like polls, you don't trust them? Yeah. Do you know, quite a lot of my patients, <laughs> I still work as a doctor, quite a lot of my patients are polls. Yeah. I've always been very much in favour of yes. polls coming to Britain. Yes, indeed. they're thoroughly decent people. They very much are, very much so. But the point is this, surely um, everything that has ever been said about this whole scenario of Brexit yeah. has changed. The waters are always shifting, yes. the sands are always shifting. Yeah, yeah. Every prediction that's ever been made by any yeah, politicians yeah. ever on my show has, has quite often had to be uh, or finessed or altered or slightly okay. you know, changed. However, um, we are where we are, and I think it seems to me anyway that we finally moved in a direction yep. where we have spent so long moving nowhere and just arguing amongst ourselves, yeah. and particularly in the building behind me where you yeah. work, the Palace of Westminster, a wonderful place full of people who don't agree on anything, right? That is the problem. So we have to find yeah. some kind of common ground and yeah. we have to move forward and we can't just keep blocking everything all the time because people get fed up with it i I, th I agree with you that we've got to start being four things yeah okay i was the first minister to resign last june and i was i resigned in, in order to be for something which was consulting the public because i didn't think the brexit that would transpire would match the promises of the 2016 vote leave campaign mm. That's the case. Yeah. Okay. I don't remember a backstop being written on the side of a bus, Mike. No. So, the, so the reality. I is, tend not to believe things written on the okay, side of a bus. Well, I don't know about you, yeah, but yeah, I mean, I mean, well, all these people that supposedly yeah. believe what was written on the side of a bus. Uh, I haven't met any. So, so I resigned for something, for a solution, and I've established an organisation called Right to Vote in order to make the conservative leaning case for it. So it's separate from not competing with people's vote, to put it you know, Well, just so you don't have to sit in the same room as Alistair Campbell? Well, you know, Alistair's all right. He's good company. He's a good he, man. He's a football fan, you know. You know well, he's a Burnley he, fan. It's not quite the same. Well, I'm a Queen's Park Rangers fan, so it's not tough. much better. So, Very tough. I mean, you know, we all struggle. Yeah. But the, the point is... You're used is to that, losing, then. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know what to say to that, actually. I mean, That's you know, fine. It, it, no, it, no comment required. It, it, it's, um, I'm still there, you know. I remember the days of Jerry Francis, you know, and Stan yes, Bowles. You know, Stan you, Bowles. You, you, look, you look back, you look back with fond memories. Yes. No, but, but, but the issue is that I, I, I came out for something, and you're right, there are too many people, including the Labour front bench, that are defined by what they're against. And indeed, yesterday's vote was we're against the backstop. Yeah. It wasn't for something. It's being spun out as being some faux unity. Right. It's rubbish. It's because they were against the backstop, even though the other side have said the backstop has been created by the red lines drawn by the mm. Prime Minister. This is going round and round it and round. Is. You've got to be for something. And as far as I'm concerned, I'm for seeking the informed consent of the public before we proceed with Brexit. It doesn't matter whether it's Brexit or Remain. And people saying to me, it'll be Brexit again, fine. Mm. At least I will know at that point that people didn't have to believe the bus, didn't have to believe the BS around Turkey succession, and all the other stuff that went on in... What about all the cobblers they got from the Remain campaign? Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. I mean, why were the Remain uh, voters all terribly well informed, I, 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 even though they yeah, were also yeah, given yeah, a whole lot absolutely. of BS? Absolutely. And I didn't participate in that campaign as well. Right. Okay? Both well, unfortunately, the government did, and I paid for it. Yeah, both sides 
both sides yeah both sides um the, the campaign was not at the finest hour mm. yeah that's another reason is to not have a, a second referendum because oh it will be leave again yeah and well that's this, not this the reason no, that's election. not the reason people say we shouldn't have it the people who say we shouldn't have it say and I'll, it's very well articulated by one of my callers the other week who said so basically if you want to leave the european union you have to vote twice but if you want to remain yep. in it, you only have to vote once. Yeah, well, when you have an operation in this country, you have to make two decisions. One, to have it, and then when you've had a discussion with a surgeon and anaesthetist who's availed you, both availed you the risks and benefits, you have to sign a consent form. Why, why is it different for leaving the biggest supernational organisation in the history of man? Okay, well, you want everyone to sign a consent form? I, I, I do want to know that the public are aware of the implications. I'll give you one example. There's an amendment that I successfully passed in July to the Trade Bill. It's sat in the Lords at the moment. It's still there. This amendment was to maintain our, essentially, our membership of the European Medicines Agency. This is a small area. This area, I didn't know this, and I'm a practicing doctor. If we leave the European Medicines Agency and we're not um, in any way involved with it, we will then get delays in, in the delivery of new drugs for cancer, for neurodegenerative disorders. Now, tell me, Mike. Was that discussed on the doorsteps of Sunderland, of Swindon, all those famous naive areas? It probably wasn't. But, I mean, most people so, didn't even know that the medicine sent, the, the European Medicine Agency was based in London. Absolutely. I mean, I didn't know it was. Absolutely. And they've now gone, by the way. So, they so, closed up shop the other day. Yeah. They've so, all left. I know. Um, I know. Have we had any problems with the supply of medicines? Um, you just wait. What do you mean, wait? You wait. Well, you can't have it both ways. You can't tell me that people are going to be in a terrible place once something happens, well, we, and then, oh, but, but it hasn't but, happened but Mike, yet. Mike, we haven't left the European... They've left London. Yeah, the, the, the administration has. We where have they gone? It. They've gone to Amsterdam. Right. Okay, which is where a lot of companies are also moving, including Panasonic for my, con for my constituency. Yeah. The point is... Well, maybe you should be working harder to keep them. Well... Well, no, because the way in which this works is that lots of these countries share their research, share their science... And they come to a conclusion of whether a drug is, a, is, is on a risk-benefit analysis. Now, all of this, most people, I get, are not engaged with this. But if I'm going to, professionally, if I want to be voting here in the best interest of my constituents, and I cannot persuade myself that they were aware of all of these, and it's not just medicines, it's also chemical industry, it's aviation There's industry. all sorts of things. It's yeah. all sorts of things. If we just go back to the country and say, look... You voted to leave. We've respected that. We've now we've now left. Um, we're seeking to leave with this package. It doesn't. It, you need to know what the, this actually entails. What this is going to involve. Yes or no. If they vote yes, we want to leave. Fine. You well, I personally, you know, what I personally think as well. The government have been hideously bad at actually explaining more positively what will be good. Because it's all very well Maybe sitting so. there and saying, oh, we won't be able to get any medicine. So. Some idiot in uh, the Kent Blood Service wants to stop collecting blood on the basis that he doesn't know where he's going to put it. You know, this kind of nonsense that we hear about stroke victims are going to increase because there's no more fruits and vegetables for them to eat. You know, there's a lot of nonsense being talked. And so, therefore, the, yeah. the public don't actually know. And what we haven't been told is what will be the yeah. benefit. Because there will be benefits of leaving as much as there will be uh, problems. So, you know, maybe that well, whole I mean, conversation I, has to be had. Absolutely. I'm not seeking in this interview... To, to, to relive the Remain versus Brexit. Neither am what, I. What I, what I'm, because I think if we get to it, I know which side I'm going to be on because I haven't changed my position. The point I'm trying to make is is that I get contacted quite often, actually, by people saying, I'm not sure about this anymore. My own patch has moved about 14 points in polling. Okay, it's polling. polling. I, I, I can see your face. Polling. Okay, but it's moved. <laughs> and, 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 and so what do I do as a parliamentarian tasked with the responsibility of representing the best interests of all of my constituents? 
what do I do in this circumstance? What's the appropriate way to behave? And I genuinely think that if we're going to be confronted with um, a no-deal scenario because the deal goes down again because there are no um, uh, substantial changes to it, if that's going to happen, I think, it's in the, I think it's right of me to stand up and say, I'm sorry, I'm not going to tolerate that. What options have we got? In those circumstances, there are two. It's either a soft Brexit, softer, or it's a, a second referendum. And I hate referenda. You know, I don't think that it's the way we should do things in this country. But, we're, but that's the other ridiculous where, point. But it's where we are. But that's the other ridiculous point. You know, if are. you take the view, which most people, I think, normally and sensibly would take, that the referendum has put us in a difficult place because yeah. nobody thought about it long enough and hard enough, perhaps, I didn't before want, I they didn't did want the it. First one. They'd say, yeah, well, you know, the point is, is that, you know, they thought that it was going to be Remain yeah. and they thought that was going to be the end of the matter. No. It was a colossal uh, misunderstanding of the people of this country, right? Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham down here on Westminster uh, College Green, of course. It is very, very chilly, but we're quite warm by uh, uh, by any general standards because Nick Devois has just turned up uh, to tell us all about what went on last night between uh, Manchester City and Newcastle. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about football later. Today, we're going to talk about the Brexit situation. Uh, Matteo Bergamini is still with us, of course, from Shout Out UK. Tell us a bit about Shout Out UK. It's a representation of young people, isn't it? Sure, yeah. So we are a youth news network that tries to get more young people engaged and involved in politics, yeah. and Brexit has been um, no end of help for us. I'm sure. <laughs> um, but we run um, a six-week political literacy course in secondary schools across the UK, teaching them about local national government, what's an MP, what's a councillor, how does a bill get through Parliament, and more recently, most stuff around Brexit. Right, OK. Um, and what are you finding Like in the last, I don't know if it's possible to tell me in the last couple of weeks whether things have changed, whether you know, um, people's attitudes have changed. I mean, we hear an awful lot of ordinary people in the street saying they're fed up with the process. They just want us to get on with it. They just want something to happen. And that's why, uh, Nick, I was saying uh, earlier on today uh, that basically um, something seems to be now happening, which is great. Yes. I mean, it gives you some context is that this is the first time the actual parliament said what it wants. That's one way of looking yeah, at it. Right. And, and that's that's a good thing. Uh, look, the the um, interesting thing about last night was also the ones that lost. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I think that has kind of made it pretty clear that there's no parliamentary majority for this second referendum. I think that's fairly clear. Well, I'd like to think going. the second referendum is dead and buried, but the people who still want it say it's not. Well, the way to um, uh, kill off any concept of a second referendum, uh, which really doesn't deserve any airtime, in, in my opinion, is to actually vote and get a deal and move on yeah. from the divorce agreement to... Uh, actually getting down to the nitty-gritty of the future trading relationship. So, you know, Theresa May, let's face it, you know, uh, she's bouncing back quite a few times, isn't yeah. she? And well, she, listen, she I said this day. morning, yeah. I mean, I was describing her the other week as, as a zombie from The Walking Dead. She's literally now come back from the dead, and she's no longer a zombie. No. I'm uh, not quite sure what she is, but she's, she's doing very well. Well, she's, um, she's certainly uh, stubborn, resilient, and now the thing is, you know, if you put everything to one side, she's got to go out to Brussels and she's got to get concessions from Brussels. Now, that is a huge task, mm. not not a uh, an unimaginable one. I know there's a lot of people saying this is a waste of time and that dreadful word I keep hearing about, this is another unicorn. My goodness. I sake. don't want to hear that word. I, In fact, I'm thinking of banning that word from this show. Well, I, I'm sure you're too much of a libertarian to ban unicorn, <laughs> unicorn, unicorn. But... Um, the point of the, the, I'll get one of the Spanish heavies to throw you out the tent. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> 
Yes, okay. Uh, that would be great, great TV. I'm not sure what it'd be like on radio. Unfortunately, the guy with the camera's just left. I don't know whether he'd left when you arrived or whether he was planning to go anyway. But um, I'll tell you what, what'll be very interesting is that people who are ruling out any flexibility from the EU, you know, they could well be right. But I would just say to the EU is that uh, if you had shown uh, less, more flexibility and less intransigence that you showed when David Cameron went in the first place to try and win some concessions uh, before the referendum came up, you know what? They may still have the UK as the 28th and one of the richest members of the EU. So I hope they've learned from that and will show some concessions. Uh, but it's a tall order. It is, Matteo. Sorry, we were going to get from you the, the sort of the view of the of the young people of this country, school children, that kind of thing. Because in a way, one of the arguments that's made by those who want to stay in the European Union is that you know it's all the old people that have voted. It's all the young people who are going to be made to suffer in the future because we won't be part of Europe. Do you hear any of that on the ground? Um, I mean, a, a lot, a lot of it. Most um, of the schools and. Um, the sort of youth clubs and, and, and councils we go into, most young people are, of course, pro-Remain. They, they, they don't see life outside of the European Union, and that's partly because they were born in the European Union. It's not something that they were... You know, it, it's something bizarre for them. Like, well, what was the point of leaving? Um, I think for a lot of young people, though, it's about clarity. And it's something that, and I, I believe I mentioned it on this show before, is something that the government and, and parliament in general have failed to, to show. Like, what would life be like outside of the European Union? What would, what would happen after, after we leave in March? And that's something that we haven't been able to do. Now, the vote yesterday has shown that you know there is some form of agreement coming along in Parliament. We'll see if it lasts and, and what the European Union's reaction will be. But it at least there's some semblance of agreement, and that's what has been missing. Because every time we're going to schools, like the, the main thing is confusion. It's like, what is this thing? Like, you know, you got Jacob Rees-Mogg on one end, you got Theresa May on the other end, which was spouting strong and stable, and that all crumbled. Um, after that, you've got Jeremy Corbyn calling for second general election. Yet, you know, that, and it's just massive amounts of confusion. So, this it's not just about remain for them. It's about understanding what that situation will be after March happens. Mm. And I think with the vote yesterday, and be, bearing in mind what, what the EU end up saying with tourism and, and negotiations that are going to happen. If we start to get a clear vision of what we'll look like, you will have people on board. Like people will be able to see what that will look like. But at yeah. the moment, that hasn't happened. And, and that's not just young people. I, I mean, the reality is, I've just come from a business too where I was yeah. talking to a particular industry, and the uncertainty, as well as the confusion, 100%. is huge. Yeah, that's the problem. And, and one of the things that I've been saying uh, about the, the, the failures of, of the government um, and mu much of that is around not telling us what life is going to be like and what benefits are going to be around after leaving the European Union. And I actually don't think life is going to be that different. You know, I'm going to get on the bus in uh, on the morning of March the 30th and it will still go where I want it to go. I'll get on the train. That will still go. Well, the train may not go because, of course, sometimes <laughs> and, they cancel the train. You, know I mean? you will still be able to get on a plane and you will still be able to land in the EU and it will still have the same safety standards it had the day before. Yeah. So, you know, these things... Well, you still... know what my plan is? My plan is to get on a plane uh, as a 10.30 flight on EasyJet out of Luton on the night of March the 29th. Um, and it lands in Athens uh, at 2.30 in the morning when we will no longer be in the European Union. The plan is to do a show on the plane and, uh, and I'll go with him. Live stream it. 
and uh, and then do another show for Athens and stay there as long as we can uh, until the money runs and out. And is it interesting you're going to Athens uh, because of the flight schedule, or is it because that is one country that will probably look at us with some envy within the <laughs> European Union and say, well, well we weren't allowed to get out? To be honest, it's one of those that happens to fit well with the timetable because, you know, it, 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 it goes across midnight, you know. So we're still waiting to get it through the budgetary committee at Talk Radio, but we're hoping to do that. <laughs> but honestly, I mean, I really, I keep saying this to people, I don't see... You know anything particularly changing massively? Well, look, I I I'm, I'd probably disagree with you a little bit in in the sense I don't think we'll be sitting on our bus that morning thinking, well, um, you know, my bus route is different because of Brexit. What I do think is though that uh, if we leave with no deal, uh, which is you know, it's it's not everyone's primary goal to leave with no deal. But it's still it a big context. possibility. Isn't it, it is a it is a, a big possibility. Uh, the reality is there will be changes. There will be changes that we might see in the first few weeks with a little bit of disruption. I've never uh, hid that. But the idea uh, that, um, what was it yesterday? 12,000 people are going to oh die God, as a yeah. result of not eating enough fruit and veg and all this nonsense. Yeah. Frankly, if, if campaigners who either for a second referendum or just against Brexit, who are starting to put this stuff out, are doing themselves a huge disservice, mm. the country actually wants sensible debate. I know Matteo and I know his organisation and they're quite fantastic. And, and I, I, I've been to an event and when you go to an event, uh, sometimes uh, the youngsters are, are far more willing to listen and engage on a what I call a balance level yeah. than, uh, shall we say, some of the um, Well, I've generation. also heard an awful lot of people lately complaining about the coverage of some of the events around Brexit as well and the way that some organisations, and I'm not going to point any fingers uh, at all, but some media organisations are clearly uh, doing things because of an agenda that they have. And that's absolutely wrong in my view. And that's turning a lot of people off. But the great thing about the British public is, you know what, they... They do it at every election, uh, they do it at referendums, and they do it on a daily basis with some of the media, is they're not stupid. They, they know what uh, a real world is. They yeah. will listen and they will distill that information until it's actually digestible right. and sensible. And also an awful lot of people who were around at the turn of the century are drawing parallels between all of these kind of uh, Project Fear stories yeah. and the Millennium Bug. I mean, <laughs> remember how the Millennium Bug was going to end the world? Yeah. Now Planes were going to fall out of the sky... You know, all your computer information was going to disappear. True, but, but in defence, I would say that when warnings are made, that actually, in a way, it becomes almost self, uh, a self-fulfilling pro- prophecy in the sense that everyone works hard to avoid it. So you could argue that by raising all those potential scare stories, everyone worked very hard to avoid it. The truth is, we don't quite know. <laughs> well, that's the trouble, isn't it? That is the problem. Matteo, final word from you. Um, what are you expecting to see um, come uh, you know, February the 14th, a massively uh, important Valentine's Day. It's a great day to do it, right? The next big vote. Um, what do you reckon is going to happen? Oh, I mean... <laughs> um, I, I, I would love to see the... Um, European come out of the European Union come out of the sort of deadlock that they've sort of put themselves in in the sense that they, we're not going to we're going to renegotiate we're not going to talk um, because I think that regardless of what your opinion is and just just for clarity I voted Remain in the referendum um, I think regardless of what your opinion is you know this is the this is trage- the trajectory that Britain is is going on we might as well make it the best we can we need to make it the best we can and I think it's for the benefit of not just us but for the European Union to work together because we are geographically close we're not just going to suddenly start sailing into the sunset right. you know, we, so we do need to work together and there needs to be some sort of compromise and I think it's fantastic that the UK Parliament has finally started to seem like it's getting its act together I'm not going to count, count it yet because 
who knows what happens. Too many but, chickens. Uh, yeah, I mean, who knows? But I, I think that hopefully the European Union will come back to the table and we'll have a um, we'll have a progressive conversation, which should have started two years ago, but. You know, better late than well, never. Well, I guess there are reasons for that. Matteo, thank you very much indeed. Matteo Bergamini uh, from Shout Out UK. Nick Dubois, I think you're going to hang around for us and uh, have a look at Prime Minister's questions, which is coming up very, very shortly. After which, of course, uh, the coldest meeting in the history of cold meetings will take place between Jeremy Corbyn and that stupid woman. Sorry, uh, Theresa May, the Prime Minister. This is Talk Radio. Oh. The fallout, the fury, the future. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Live from Westminster. Yeah, order on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Talk Radio Tent of Democracy. We're back on College Green right here in Westminster. Nick Dubois is with me, uh, former uh, Special Advisor to Dominic Raab when he was Brexit Secretary, former Tory MP as well. Uh, Ross Kempsell's here too. We're still watching Theresa May doing Prime Minister's questions. Jeremy Corbyn, though, uh, has sat down. She's now uh, kind of uh, jousting with Ian Blackford, uh, the leader of the SNP, who's accused her of going back on her word, promising Scotland everything and delivering nothing. Uh, well, I'm surely that's the SNP's job, isn't it? Uh, but we'll come back to that in a moment. And Neil McNeil from Macclesfield wants to come on uh, and have his say about the Labour Party. Neil, a very good afternoon to you. Welcome. Afternoon, Mike. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. Uh, are I you basking to... in the in the renewed glow of democracy in action? <laughs> <laughs> I do feel a bit. I, I do feel a bit uh, optimistic now. Uh, I think we've been ignored uh, for far too long, uh, and yesterday. We actually got, uh, you know, all the Ramonas really got there, come up and say, so I'm quite, um, quite pleased. Well, um, I mean, they do look a bit miserable. Gone. Chucky Ramona's face was a picture, wasn't it, last night? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's just wonderful to see uh, these these people, um, you know, get a smack of reality, really. Uh, yes. Cooper, you know, I don't know what ego trip she's on, but uh, the person I feel most sorry for, really. Is uh, is Jeremy Corbyn? I mean, he was playing, he was playing his cards quite well, um, but I think what's happened is he's got into that London-centric mindset. He's listened to people like Yvette Cooper and Chukra Moon and all those types, and he's forgotten who his actual voter base actually is. And they, you know, his voter base—they they live in working men's clubs in Wakefield. You know, and they 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 have a have a bet on the horses now and again, and that is his core base, and he's completely forsaken them. And and I think now the Labour Party's doomed. They are absolutely doomed. They will not get in for another fifteen to twenty years. No chance. Well, listen, Neil, that's an interesting point. I'll come to you, Nick, about that, because Labour Party does have a problem, doesn't it? I mean, we've heard previously that Jeremy Corbyn tries to be all things to all men and women inside the Labour Party, and that up north he's, he's a, a, a lever, down south he's a remainer. You know, in the in the hallowed halls of, uh, of Westminster, he comes across as a bit of an intellectual. Outside of that, he's a kind of an ordinary guy with an allotment. You know, what's it all about? Well, look at his front bench. It's uh, very London-centric, yeah. uh, it, and London is very different to the rest of the country and the way it votes as well. But yeah. also, Lon being London-centric and Westminster bubble is, is a toxic uh, thing to be. He knows that his most marginal seats, A, that they've got to win, and the ones he's got to defend 
are actually leave seats. Yeah. That puts him in a really tricky place. Right, it does indeed. Ross, what do you make of uh, of the Labour Party as it now is? Because there are those who think that um, that Jeremy Corbyn will never win uh, an election with the Labour Party as the Labour Party leader, and the only way that they can ever really fall, form a proper challenge to Theresa May and the Tories is to find another leader. Well, Nick is absolutely right about the importance of those leave seats to the leader's office. They know because they came relatively close last time, they know exactly where their numbers need to fall and they are in leave voting constituencies. But I do think that it's important to view this with a little bit of nuance because Jeremy Corbyn actually stepped away from backing the Cooper Bowles amendment with the kind of force that he might have done. Yes, he did uh, whip for it, but he uh, took a completely different approach to the Cooper plan on how long the uh, delay to Article 50 was supposed to be. He has been extremely lukewarm in his support for it really only really backing round on the whip at the last minute he could have come out much earlier and backed it so there has been really this interesting tension for so long at the heart of the Labour Party over these issues and I don't think we've really seen Jeremy Corbyn show much sign of softening and becoming some kind of uh, remain messiah-like figure because if he was going to do that he would have caved to the huge pressure on him to back a second referendum uh, and he's completely ignored uh, but basically calls to do that continuously for so long so uh, the position is, is subtle. Jeremy Corbyn is hamstrung because he does know what he needs to do in order to get into Downing Street and the Labour Party leadership uh, can be criticised for many things but they have been consistent in saying that they prioritise a general election over anything else and um, behind the scenes Labour is selecting candidates, the HQ is gearing up for a general election in a way in which we've been told that CCHQ is but not entirely convinced with quite as much alacrity as the Labour Party has so it is something to watch out for I do think that Jeremy Corbyn, though, of course, has continued to, with his constructive ambiguity, his kind of a position of not really taking a solid public position, that's how most people think of it, led to this position where we have people calling in totally confused by what Jeremy Corbyn's kind of position really is. And that is a strategic uh, disadvantage to him uh, because no, nobody really now can, can tell you what Labour's um, alternative plan is, if we're perfectly honest. I think that that is a fair comment. Uh, it is very difficult to find people who don't follow this closely who can articulate what Jeremy Corbyn's alternative plan is. It's not fair to say that he hasn't got one because he does, but I'm just not sure that that many people are convinced that they actually know what it is. Well, indeed. And then uh, we were talking earlier, Nick, about uh, me wanting you to describe the sort of the room, the Prime Minister's room inside the House of Commons. She's going to meet with Jeremy Corbyn there. What is it like? Who's going to be in there with her and who's he going to bring with him? Well, when you go in, uh, on the right-hand side, as you'd expect of Theresa May, there's a sort of separate alcove area Uh and there are about three sofas and two comfy single oh, chairs. Oh, sounds quite big then. It's, it's quite a big office. Yeah. This is on the right-hand side. In my day, you would have got about 10 MPs in there. Right. But, but, and, and that's very comfortable. It's very elegant. She mm. does decorate very elegantly. And then at the rest of the office, the large bit that faces you as you walk in, mm. huge long table down it. Right. Just before PMQs, it is stuffed with bottles of whiskey and all sorts really? of things, Excellent. which she is not drinking. Right. Uh, she is signing for people from all parties. Oh, these are House of Commons parties, bottles, yeah. Yes, and that right. they then get sent out. So they'll probably sit around the table. They will have cleared away the booze, which yeah. is probably a sensible thing to do. Yeah. Uh, I imagine my meetings are always well, held on doesn't the drink, sofa. Does <laughs> well, I'm not sure. I don't know, actually. So I used to be on the sofa meetings. Right. Um, I imagine she will sit him around the table. Her chief of staff will be there quite possibly David Liddington I would expect to be there her principal private secretary uh, and probably one of the special advisors there not sure to be contributing or not at that stage they'll be the minimum who will be there and is this the kind of meeting that has an agenda or or does it kind of have uh, basically a uh, uh, a free-flowing 
freestyle sort of feel. Well, it was it was there was always agendas given to most of the meetings we went to, but uh, something like this and like the Europe meetings I used to sit in, they are pretty free flowing. Right. Okay. Uh, we're going to go to the news in a moment. Uh, Ross, what are you expecting? I mean, we could take bets actually on how long this meeting lasts. Mm. I'm going to say it's, it's under half an hour. It's in Jeremy Corbyn's interest, as Nick said, to extend it to make it look like he's uh, as involved in the process as possible. But I think Mr. Corbyn will have with him um, his head of communications, uh, Seamus Milne. He'll yeah. also bring Carrie Murphy, who is kind of his political director. Wouldn't be surprised as well if he doesn't bring some other senior figures in the leader's office, perhaps people like James Schneider, to um, make sure that the image coming out of the meeting is as they want to portray it. Uh, Mr. Corbyn is advised by uh, on Brexit by several uh, individuals in the leader's office who may also be, be with him. But I think that the reality is we're going to see both leaders sit, stick to their script. And I, I'm not really sure what is going to be achieved in this meeting. Um, it will attempt, I'm sure, to be painted as uh, some kind of progress because it's probably in both of their interests to demonstrate that they've at least spoken to each other uh, in the most baseline constructive of manners, but I don't think there'll be yeah. anything more than that. Sounds like the kind of meeting they've written the press release for before they've had it. Well, it, it? it doesn't always happen like that. I should have said, by the way, obviously, given what I used to do, the Brexit secretary will almost yes, certainly be there as well. So. <laughs> as long as it hasn't changed between now and then. Stop it. It could happen. Stop it. You know, there's another half an hour to it's go. It's a very important <laughs> club, us former chief of staffs now. You can always form a five-a-side football team, but that's another story. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.